This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 8, looking this evening at verses 4 through 17. Jeremiah 8, verses 4 through 17. Hear the word of God. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, when men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Everyone turns to his own course, like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove, swallow, and crane keep the time of their coming, but my people know not the rules of the Lord. How can you say we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom is in them? Therefore I will give their wives to others, their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Why do we sit still? Gather together. Let us go into the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and has given us poisoned water to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no, no good came for a time of healing. But behold, terror. The snorting of their horses is heard from Dan. At the sound of the neighing of their stallions, the whole land quakes. They come and devour the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I am sending among you serpents, adders that cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we... Ask for your help as we study this passage. We pray uh, for your light. And Father, we pray that in this passage we might be led to examine our own hearts and our own attitudes toward you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine getting into your car and you buckle up, you start the engine Put it into reverse, you back out of the driveway onto the street, you put the car in drive and press on the gas, 
you go backward. Well, startled, of course, you hit the brake, and you make sure the car is in drive. You check it. It is, so you apply the gas. You go backward. Frustrated, you put the car in park. Then you put it back into drive. Again, backward. Try low gear. Backward. Try neutral. Backward. Everything. Backward. Frustrating, right? Well, imagine how God must have felt. No matter what he did with Judah, no matter the prophets he sent, no matter the warnings he gave, he got the same result. Backward. Verse 5. Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. Perpetual backsliding is another way of saying that Spiritually speaking, these people were in reverse, stuck in reverse, backwards, going backwards. Now, we have to acknowledge that spiritual growth is not always a matter of making forward progress. There are times when we feel like we are in neutral, going nowhere fast. And there are those days when it seems like we're going two steps forward and one step back, and some days maybe even two steps back and only one step forward. But the reality is, as believers, as God's people, we are to make progress, and by God's grace, we do make progress in our walk with the Lord, growing more obedient in our daily lives, and not just dealing with the outward sins, the more evident sins in our lives, but in God's uh, wisdom and mercy dealing with the inner sins, the thoughts, the attitudes of our heart, more subtle sins. But Christian life should be a gradual, uh, a matter of gradual forward progress in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Well, it wasn't so with Judah. It wasn't so much two steps forward and one step back. It was three steps back all the time, it seemed. Well, what went wrong? And more importantly, how can we avoid this same situation uh, for which God, with which God was so frustrated with his people and uh, angry toward his people. How can we avoid such decline? Well, as we look at this text, it seems that as you look at it, there's several mistakes that they made that come to mind that brought them, that brought them where they were. They were Things that uh, were symptoms of their decline, but uh, in sort of a vicious circle, also served to aggravate the situation in which they were, this decline. Well, what are some of those mistakes? Well, in the first place, there was the mistake of refusing to repent. Refusing to repent. Look at verse 4. It begins with just a couple simple questions. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, when men fall, do they not rise again? One turns away, does he not return? Well, of course, if you fall, you get up. When you go away, you come back. You make a mistake, you try to correct it. Uh, that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. That's, that's, that seems like the obvious thing. And yet, he says here, he is amazed at their persistence, their perpetual backsliding. That's the default mode, is to be running from the Lord, declining in their spiritual condition. And he says at the end of verse 5, they hold fast to deceit. 
We've said before that the, the essence of sin is deception. Since the Garden of Eden, uh, where the serpent deceives Eve. And her exp- explanation to God reflects that. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Sin always involves deception. We've been had when we sin. We've believed a lie. And yet here, the Lord takes issue with his people saying they hold fast to deceit. They're holding fast to their lies. They refuse to return. Notice how many times the word turn and return occurs through this text. It's kind of a, not so much a play on words as just echoing a theme. The need to turn, to return to the Lord. They cling to their lies. And the Lord's not mistaken. It's not as though he misread the situation. Verse 6, I have paid attention and listened. I've watched them carefully. I've listened to them. But they've not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, what have I done? Have you had an experience where you've done something maybe sinful, uh, maybe not, uh, maybe just not thinking, made an innocent mistake, and you say, what have I done? You know, when you realize the situation. Well, the Lord's amazed. They never reached that point. In, in all of their wickedness, in all of their disobedience, in all of their sin, they never reach that point where they say, what on earth have I done? What am I doing in this situation? They never had that prodigal son experience. Now, what am I doing here in the pigsty, hungering for the very food the pigs are eating? I'll, I'll, I'll return. I'll go home to my father. They don't have that experience. But rather, everyone turns to his own course, like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the birds follow their migratory patterns. The stork, the turtle dove, swallow, crane, they keep the time of their coming. You know, they return when they're supposed to. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. Word know there doesn't so much indicate awareness as rejection. Uh, they, they, they are aware of the rule of the Lord. They just reject it. It's this, it's intentional and persistent rebellion against his truth. There is a refusal here to repent. Now, what do we learn from that? Well, that's a, a terrible mistake because despite God's efforts in sending the prophets and speaking to them, Jeremiah and others, uh, they resist, they reject. If there's anything that's at the heart of the Christian life, it is repentance. That's not just something that happens When we first become a Christian, it happens then certainly. Uh, We recognize our sinfulness. We repent. Uh, That very word indicates not so much a physical return, a turn of direction, but a changing in the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about our sins. And certainly returning is, is a good synonym for repentance. It acknowledges that the way we're going is wrong. The way we're going is sin. And we need to do an about face. We need to change the way that we think about ourselves and about God and about our sin. That's repentance. And yes, that takes place when we first become a believer. Should. But it doesn't end there. The Christian life is daily repentance. Daily coming back to the Lord. Coming back to the cross. Acknowledging that we have sinned. Acknowledging we've not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And once again pleading for and receiving the forgiving grace and mercy of the Lord. Well, we acknowledge that on an individual level, 
as believers, life is to be uh, one of daily repentance, but also daily thanksgiving and the, the forgiving and pardoning grace, cleansing grace of God. But it also is in play when someone comes to you and speaks to you about some sin in your life, maybe one that you're not aware of, quite possibly one that you are aware of, and talks to you about it. And what's the reaction? Well, the initial reaction, because of our sinfulness, often is to become defensive. Well, it's not as bad as you think, or you're misreading the situation, or you don't understand what I'm dealing with or going through. And sometimes goes from being defensive to going on the offensive. But what about you? Who are you? You know, look at your life. I know your problems. Who are you to talk to me? What is that? Well, that's just pride that we would respond defensively and certainly that we would go on the attack. If someone has shown concern enough to come and talk to us, and even if their motives aren't right, um, perhaps especially if their motives aren't right, uh, they're letting us know something about ourselves that is valuable to know. Uh, and I would suggest a truly godly response would be, yes, but you don't know the half of it. There's so much more that you don't see. Uh, but thank you. And I'm going to repent of that and ask God's forgiveness. And would you pray for me, too, in dealing with this in my life? Um, there, There is something very mature and very wise in taking the observations of others and taking that for the Lord and repenting of it. But you see, that's what Judah, precisely what Judah would not do. They held fast stubbornly to deceit, to lies, the lies of sin. So the first mistake here is refusal to repent. God has sent them the prophets. God has called them to account. God has had his word ringing in their ears, but they wouldn't have it, wouldn't hear of it. Second mistake that they make here is a distortion of God's word. And the two often go together, refusal to repent, but justifying themselves by taking God's word and twisting it, distorting it. Look at verse 8. How can you say, we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Uh, The law generally, it may have also had some reference to the book of the law, you'll remember, that was found when Josiah was king, who was unearthed and produced and led to uh, Josiah's reforms in Jerusalem and in Judah. But as we've seen before, reforms that sadly in many cases were only surface level. Uh, Josiah could reform the practices and the terrain of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, but he couldn't change people's hearts. Nevertheless, good reforms, maybe that was what they were referring to. The law of the Lord is with us. We found the book. We've got it. We are wise. Everything's good. But... The Lord says, behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. In other words, they've taken the word and they've twisted it to make it support what they think perhaps it ought to say, to justify their own actions. And certainly there's, there's nothing unique about that. We're familiar in our own day with organizations that go by the name of churches that promote uh, the very opposite of what Scripture actually teaches. Uh, one area, of course, has to do with the whole area of homosexuality and those who would take verses that prohibit it and make it say it allows it, uh, to twist the Scriptures to say the very opposite of what what they say. Um, I can recall a conversation with uh, a woman, happened to be the wife of a Methodist minister one time, 
We were talking about the PCA and talking about the formation of the PCA and why it broke off from the uh, what is now the PCUSA, which was a much more liberal denomination. And the woman said to me, oh, the PCUSA is not liberal. I guess it's all a matter of where one is standing. Uh, I, was, I was quite taken aback by that. Uh, again, though, it's, it's where, where you're standing, uh, perhaps. Maybe, she was, maybe it looked conservative to her. I don't know. Uh, but we need to be careful uh, with the word of God. And that was part of the problem here. That, that they had the word. They boasted in it, but they made it into a lie. Um, by the way, this is the first Old Testament mention of the scribes, which trips along with the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees of New Testament fame, the Gospels fame, but using it to justify their own actions. Uh, verse 10, for their own gain. Uh, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Uh, conscience is gone. Verse 12, were they ashamed where they had committed abominations? No, not ashamed at all. Didn't even know how to blush. That sounds familiar. It's because it is. Uh, back in chapter 6, verse 14, uh, the same, uh, same few verses are there together. Apparently, this was something of a refrain with Jeremiah. Back in 16, uh, chapter 6, verse 13, 14, 15, same, same passage, even before the days of copy and paste. Uh, Jeremiah had brought this up, and it's here again, this, this indictment of peace when there is no peace. They're not ashamed. They don't even have to blush. The most shameless things cause them no shame at all. And superficial dealing, they've healed the wound of my people lightly. It's okay. You're fine in your sins. Don't worry about a thing. God loves you. He's in the forgiving business. God understands, you know, you're, you're only human. God knows you're just doing the best you can. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And God makes it very plain that there is no peace. In fact, several times through here, we have announcements of judgment on them. Verse 10, uh, or verse 9, the wise men shall be put to shame, dismayed, taken. They've rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom is in them? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to conquerors. Uh, Again, the judgment of the Lord announced upon them. We need to be very careful with God's word, that we ourselves, whether we're reading it alone or teaching it, preaching it, whatever it might be, uh, that we take care to be as accurate as possible. And sometimes it is a blade that cuts. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it forces us to deal with things in our lives that we would rather not deal with. It can make us uncomfortable. And yet... That's what the people had, but they twisted it. The lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. There will be many people who will face God for standing in a pulpit and preaching lies and preaching sin and preaching untruths in the name of God and on behalf of God. I can think of no worse thing than to stand before the Lord and have to explain that that is a fearful and terrifying thing, and you who teach Sunday school, you need to recognize, as James says, that we who teach will incur a stricter judgment. You need to be very careful that you are giving those children or the adults you teach the Word of God and what it says. We dare not even come close to what the Lord says about the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. 
God's word needs to be heard in clarity. We need the whole counsel of God. We dare not just take certain parts of it that we like and focus on that. We need to hear the true word of God and the whole word of God. So that was another mistake uh, that really in many ways rested on the shoulders of the leaders, and that is the distortion of God's word and twisting God's word to pronounce peace to the people when in fact there was no peace at all. But there's a third mistake that they make here that we need to look at, and that is this, this passivity, this resignation to the judgment of God. Look at verse 14. Why do we sit still? Gather together. Let's go into the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and has given us poison water to drink because we've sinned against the Lord. Look for peace. None came. Time of healing. But behold, terror. Snorting of the horses is heard from Dan. Dan would have been in north, indicating an enemy coming from the north, which uh, would be from the direction of Babylon. Uh, They come, they devour the land, all that fills it, the city, those who dwell in it. The Lord's announcement of sending serpents that cannot be charmed. But it's, it's striking that they say, well, you know, we might as well just go into the cities and hold out there as long as we can and then die. Because God is judging us, because he's bringing against us. This enemy that's going to come in and take our land and uh, bring terror with it. There's an acknowledgement of God's judgment, an acknowledgement of their mistaken uh, attitude. We look for peace, but none came, a time of healing, but behold, terror. It kind of echoes verse 11, peace, peace, when there is no peace, and eventually that proves true. But notice how passive they are. Why? Why do they just seem to accept that? Well, maybe you know people today who, if pressed, would say, yeah, I'm probably going to hell, but, you know, that's where my friends will be, and so I guess that's where I'd rather be. No conception of what hell really is. But, you know, even in the scriptures, you see this a little bit. It, it strikes me uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where Samuel is with Eli. In fact, we read uh, this morning in 1 Samuel uh, where where Eli or Samuel goes to to work with Eli there in Shiloh in the, in the service of the Lord, and you, you know the story how Samuel's asleep and he wakes up hearing someone calling his name Samuel Samuel and so he, he thinks it's Eli so he runs into where Eli is and said you know you called me he said no I didn't call go back to sleep and it happens again and Samuel runs in and Eli says no I didn't call you so go back to sleep. Well, that happens the third time, and Eli is perceiving that something is going on here. And so he says to Samuel, it's the Lord, and next time he calls you, say, here I am, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's exactly what Samuel does. And the Lord reveals to Samuel that he is going to bring the judgment he promised against Eli's family, against his sons, for the vile behavior uh, in which they were engaged uh, in the worship of God, in the whole uh, system there, immoral men acting wickedly. And so then Eli calls Samuel to himself and says, what did the Lord tell you? And he, said, he even says, you know, may it be done to you what the Lord has said if you don't tell me fully what God has said to you. And so Samuel tells him that the Lord has announced to Samuel that he is bringing judgment on Eli's family. And how does Eli respond? He basically says, well, he is the Lord. Let him do whatever he thinks best. Does that not strike you as a parent? Does that not strike you as strange? 
You know, I looked at the, stu- the, the notes, the study notes, and several different study Bibles, and they all say something like, well, Eli demonstrated this humble attitude in, 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 you know, in, in uh, acquiescing in the will of the Lord. What? You know, if God came to me and said, I'm bringing judgment on your children because of their wickedness, I would be crying out to God to spare them, to show his grace to them, to bring them to repentance. I wouldn't be saying, yes, Lord, that's good. We can go along with that. That's the plan. Earlier, when Moses uh, was leading Israel, and they make the golden calf, and God says to Moses, I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm going to make a new nation out of you. What does Moses do? Sounds good. He's the Lord. Let him do what he sees fit. No. He says, Lord, how can you do this? How can you go against the promises you made to Abraham? How can you go against you know, what you've done in bringing us out of Egypt to this point? And what will the Egyptians say? He just brought them out in the desert to destroy them. He argues with God. He takes exception to that. He doesn't want to become a nation. He wants God to preserve his people. He doesn't just passively accept the judgment of God on Israel. That's exactly what Eli should have done. Not just say, well, you know, he's the Lord, whatever he thinks best. Now, maybe there was humility in that, and certainly we are right ultimately to acquiesce to the will of the Lord and acknowledge his prerogatives. But I think some intercession is in order there. But that's exactly what you have here. Oh, let's just go in the city. Our Lord God's doomed us to perish, giving us poison water to drink. Maybe maybe they're being sarcastic. Uh, Maybe they don't believe it at all. But even so, um, it's a terrible thing to think about. In fact, they do seem to acknowledge in verse 15 the reality of it. So crying out to God, not just acquiescing. Even the king of Nineveh, when Jonah came announcing judgment, said, well, call out to him, maybe he will relent. How much more uh, Judah uh, and Jerusalem should have cried out to God to acknowledge their sins, call on the mercy of the Lord. Well, we need to do the same. Certainly for ourselves, although we have God's promise in Christ of our salvation, but even for others we know who are resistant to the Lord, who are hostile, who reject the gospel, uh, to plead with the Lord on their behalf. Uh, to say, oh, yeah, maybe they're not elect, and there's something to believe. A person like that never become a Christian. Well, don't just roll over and passively accept the judgment of God on someone that you love and someone that you care about. Go to the Lord on their behalf. Plead the mercies of God in Christ for that person, just as God has shown his mercy in Christ to you. Well, some people live their lives stuck in reverse, where God is concerned. A situation that he describes here is perpetual backsliding. And frankly, apart from God's grace, we all do, and we all will. Perpetual backsliding. But you know, Jesus comes and he works on the transmission of our heart. And it's expensive work. But Jesus pays for it himself. He puts our hearts in drive and we move forward in him. Or as Paul says it in Philippians 3, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would see evident gain, evident forward progress in our walks with you. And as a church, as a denomination, as your church in the world, Father, we do pray that you would 
Be gracious and patient with us when we sin, when we do stumble, when we do fall down. We pray that by your grace we would get up again. Dust ourselves off. Remember that you are merciful. Remember that Christ has paid for our sins. And fill us with your spirit uh, to move forward, to continue to walk with you. Lord, we pray with David, give us a steadfast spirit, not one that just rolls over, that falls down and doesn't get up. And Father, we pray uh, that you would be at work in us to glorify yourself until that day when we are safe at home in glory with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.